0: Welcome to Holy Smoke, the spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. Today, we're talking about something called the Abrahamic Family House, which opened last month in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. This is a hugely expensive project that consists of three giant cube-shaped buildings. The St. Francis Church, non-denominational but run by Catholics, plus the Imam al-Tayeb Mosque, and the Moses Ben Maimon Synagogue. Now, some Christians think this project is immensely inspiring. Others find it creepy for a number of reasons. That St. Francis Church is also called His Holiness Francis Church, which makes it sound like it's named after the current pontiff. And that would make sense in a way, because the Imam al-Tayeb mosque is named after the Grand Imam of al-Azhar in Egypt, who, in 2019, signed the agreement with Pope Francis that made this whole thing possible. The background is crucial. I have to go into it for a second. The Pope and the Imam signed something called the Human Fraternity Document, a confection of interfaith platitudes in which the signatories made the claim that the pluralism and the diversity of religions are willed by God in his wisdom. In other words, the Pope was agreeing that God wanted some people not to be Christians. From an orthodox Christian point of view, that's an extreme concession to the interfaith lobby, to put it politely, and also quite a claim for Sheikh Ahmed al tayeb to make on behalf of Islam. And if you're not a fan of interfaith dialogue, then you're unlikely to be reassured by the fact that the Abrahamic family house is overseen by a group of people who grandly call themselves the High Committee of Human Fraternity, which includes the President of the Pontifical Council for Interreligious Dialogue of the Holy See, representatives from Al Azhar University, Washington's Chief Rabbi, and, inevitably, a former head honcho of UNESCO, and the Secretary General of that useless talking shop, the World Council of Churches. And then there's the related question, which we actually haven't got time to explore today, of whether the whole concept of Abrahamic faiths has any useful theological meaning, given that Judaism, Christianity and Islam believe quite different things about God, and for that matter, the figure of Abraham, someone whose historical existence is questioned by many scholars. But, on the other hand a church and a synagogue open for worship alongside a mosque in the heartland of Sunni Islam? That would have been inconceivable a few years ago. And today we'll be hearing from the Holy Smoke podcast's new researcher, Nathan Eckersley, who, despite being a practicing Catholic and a conservative, thinks this is a remarkable move that suggests that in the 21st century, in which Nathan has lived his entire life, by the way, Parts of the Arab Middle East may be ready to embrace a surprising new tolerance, at least up to a point. So I began by asking Nathan about this strange
1: name attached to the Christian building. You're quite right to point out some of the issues that have arisen, specifically the name of the church that's there. They're calling it the His Holiness Francis Church, which gives the clear assumption that it's named after Pope Francis, which isn't the case. The church is named after St. Francis of Assisi. And I do take issue with the name because of the lack of clarity it provides, but also it's inconsistent with other churches that are in the United Arab Emirates, that they do have a number of Catholic churches, they have Protestant churches, they are all named after saints. One of the most famous in Dubai is St. Mary's Catholic Church, but Putting that to one side, I do think the Abrahamic family house has a lot of potential. There are going to be Catholic services held there. There already have been. They've been celebrated by the Apostolic Vicariate of Southern Arabia. They've had uh, cardinals uh, there to celebrate masses. And there is a healthy Catholic population and Christian population in the United Arab Emirates because it's a mostly expatriate population.
0: And presumably, sorry to interrupt, but presumably... I think we can be sure that you know, if they celebrate a mass in His Holiness or St. Francis Church, it's just the mass that is celebrated everywhere else. We'll stay clear of the yes. issue of the viciously suppressed Tridentine mass. So you couldn't really argue that the services in the St. Francis Church represent some sort of new theology. Basically, if it's the Catholics there, they'll just be using the same missile that's used all over the yes. Latin Rite Church.
1: Yes, it is. It is just going to be a very standard mass using the approved missile that's provided by the Vatican in their approval for this project. There isn't going to be any leeway really on, say, the divinity of Christ, which is the essence of the Eucharistic service. Now, I appreciate that there have been some reservations about the project, particularly the more conservative Catholics, and particular about the document on human fraternity. The United Arab Emirates government hasn't set this up to bring about a convergence, if you like, between Jewish, Christian and Islamic faiths, quite simply because that would be completely incompatible with the mainstream Sunni Islam that's embraced by the United Arab Emirates, the main version of Islam that's practiced over there in their mosques. But one of the most interesting parts about it, I think, is actually the way the United Arab Emirates, through the Abrahamic Family House, but also if we're looking at this from a more political level, the Abraham Accords that were signed in 2020, 2021, which normalizes diplomatic relations between the UAE, Bahrain, and a few other Arab and Middle Eastern nations with Israel. And since those were signed, there's been a huge uptake in Jewish expatriates, Israeli expatriates to the UAE. And a real blossoming of oh, really? Judaism yes that. so the, the Moses ben Maimon synagogue that's been built at the Abrahamic family house that's the first purpose built synagogue in the arab world since 1935 which is just an astonishing achievement. And Jewish communities have been set up across the UAE. In fact, there's a really thriving Jewish community in Dubai at the moment. And there's lots of smaller synagogues that have been set up in converted buildings. And there's a a number of rabbis who've moved to the United Arab Emirates as well. the inauguration of the Abrahamic Family House, the UK's Chief Rabbi, Sir Ephraim Mervis, who himself is an Orthodox rabbi. He's uh, the Chief Rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations of the whole of the Commonwealth. And he's been very complimentary about the whole project. In fact, he's made subsequent visits to the Abrahamic Family House since that inauguration. So this really is a project which is designed to accommodate. It's designed to bring people to the United Arab Emirates, promote working together, working collaboration, and not to, to diverge too much away from the traditions of the UAE either.
0: I take your point, and I'm fascinated to learn that so many Jewish people now feel comfortable operating in an Arab country and that they enjoy freedom of worship there which is indeed unusual, and in fact there's been, I think, a pretty positive response to this initiative in major Jewish newspapers such as the the Jerusalem Post, the Jewish Chronicle in this country. But look at it this way. Despite centuries of Arab anti-Semitism, the Jewish religion doesn't actually pose any sort of challenge to Islam because Judaism doesn't proselytise. It can accommodate converts, but it doesn't seek them out. Perhaps it did once, 2,000 years ago. We're not sure that's an interesting debate. But Christianity, by contrast, emerged from the very beginning as a proselytizing faith, initially a a proselytizing sect within Judaism. It sought to give them Jews and then Gentiles. And later, after the Gospels were written, the more polite term, evangelization, was adopted by Christianity instead of proselytization. But as a faith, generally speaking... Um, and this would apply to conservative Protestants and Orthodox as as well as traditional Catholics, it still seeks converts, as does Islam, which is another proselytising religion, vigorously so. But when he signed the Abu Dhabi document, Pope Francis denounced what he called proselytism as completely inappropriate. And that seemed to lots of Christians as a shocking concession because it seemed to be completely incompatible with the message of St Paul's epistles and the early history of Christianity, indeed most of the history of Christianity, but no doubt it was very pleasing to the government of the United Arab Emirates because despite all the trendy architecture of the Abrahamic family house, despite its architect saying he's going to celebrate the shared features of the Abrahamic religions and we could have another debate, it'd be quite a narrow theological one about what those shared features, if any, are. The fact remains that a Muslim in the Emirates who converts to Christianity commits a crime that is punishable by death, because there is still an apostasy law in the UAE, isn't there?
1: Yes. Since 1978, the Emirates has incorporated aspects of sharia into its penal code and that was a tremendous step backwards especially considering that prior to it becoming the united arab emirates it was the, the trucial states which was a british protectorate so there were many british influences there was a degree of liberal activity in that part of the world when it was under british occupation so to have that introduced at that time post independence that that was a real step backwards and what also has to be acknowledged is the fact that there are Other parts of the Islamic world in which the Sharia death sentence for apostasy has been the catalyst for the most horrific persecution of Christians. We only need to cast our minds back to just a few years ago when the Islamic State group was arresting Christians and executing them, beheading them, just committing the most appalling crimes. So we have and to. Indeed, be and indeed, sorry
0: to interrupt, but we don't even have to cast our minds back at all because of the most shocking atrocities being committed against Christians by Muslim extremists in Nigeria as we speak. Of course, uh, yeah. Again, they're using aspects of Sharia, aspects of Islamic tradition to justify their barbaric criminality to the horror of most Muslims insofar as these crimes are made public in the media, and for the most part, they're not. So as you say, these apostasy laws are still a source of persecution, unhappiness, tension and fear, but not so much in the United Arab Emirates.
1: No, no, not at all. In fact, the the United Arab Emirates has not executed anyone for apostasy in 45 years. And we can look at that number and think 45 years in the grand scheme of things, that's not a particularly long time. But in a part of the world where Islam and Sharia have been the dominant ideology and method of governance in a number of countries, that has to be taken as a, a small uh, success, as a small win, perhaps. But while, whilst it's reasonable to assume that Christians won't be able to evangelize Muslims openly in in the near future, in the foreseeable, there is an increasing freedom not just for Christians, but for religious life generally. In fact, the UAE has embarked on quite a, a liberalization spree, if you like. Now, I've visited the UAE a number of times since around 2017. And even in that short time, I've seen a tremendous amount of progress in terms of social attitudes and policy changes to make this particular part of the world, this particular country, much more open and engaging for people to want to move there. Just for day-to-day life, for example, the government is no longer censoring film releases in cinemas. The country is moving away from uh, Sharia as part of its legal system. It's embracing a more Western-style way of trying cases, hearing cases. And even more recently, Western non-married couples are permitted to live together, and a recent law change means that they can now get married in the UAE, as well as pursue divorce, which is... Again, a huge change and shift in mentality. In 2021, I visited the UAE for, for my own podcast to explore the, the Expo 2020 that was being hosted in Dubai, the, the World's Fair. It was the first of its kind to be hosted in the Middle East, and it had the widest representation of countries of any World's Fair. And one of those represented was the Holy See, the Vatican. And in the pavilion that they had, they had a fantastic display. They had a recreation of the Sistine Chapel ceiling. They had a centuries-old Bible that was written in Arabic. And one of the things that they got permission to do was in the centre of the expo sites, there's this incredible uh, plaza called al Wassel. And the Vatican Pavilion was given permission by the UAE government to celebrate Midnight Mass, Christmas Eve. They had the resident Archbishop come to celebrate Midnight Mass in the open air in Dubai, and to bring people there, to make it an open invitation.
0: It would be very hard not to see that as a sign of progress, at least so far as religious toleration is concerned. And I hope I don't sound unnecessarily carping if I make the point that a lot of this is about money. I mean, the fact that it took place in the context of a world fair, I think is interesting, because the United Arab Emirates wants to encourage a brain drain there. They, They want as much investment and as much tourism as possible. And clearly, if Christians feel comfortable there, if it never occurs to Christians that they are entering a country that is governed partly by the fearsome legal code of Sharia, even if that's easing off, then it's good for business. And in a way, that midnight mass was good for business. Does that sound too cynical to you?
1: I can see why you might interpret it that way. But at the same time, we, we know that the experience of recent history and a variety of academic studies, there is a correlation between religious and economic freedom. Now, you know, as a student of the social sciences, the first law that we learn is correlation does not equal causation. You know, They, they are hard to separate, just as the political and economic freedoms also go hand in hand. Now, of course, the Abrahamic family house doesn't herald the end of religious persecution in the Middle East. But there was an interesting article from the, the Jerusalem Post on this by an Israeli researcher called Mohammed al dhuri And his argument was that this idea of opening the Abrahamic family house in DOE sent a new and crucial signal that it's possible to alter some of the doomsday predictions of the clash of civilization scenario, that famous 1990s theory from Samuel Huntington essentially arguing that there's such a divide between our our cultures and civilizations that we can never live in true harmony. And whilst there are, of course, these major cultural differences and perhaps in some parts, cultural chasms, this is proof, this Abrahamic family house is proof that we are seeing an incredible shift in attitudes, in mentalities and in policy in the Middle East that we're seeing this move towards a more westernised system, a more open system, a more liberal system, a more tolerant system. Fair enough.
0: The tolerance it's is not in. absolutely uniform. I'm not sure how tolerant it is towards Shiite immigrants to the United Arab Emirates, who tend to get deported in rather inhumane circumstances. It also has a very bad record of returning the endlessly persecuted Uighur Muslims of China to the horrific regime with which the vatican has signed a diabolical accord without ever bothering to condemn the persecution of the uyghurs but some progress is better than none and this does seem to be rather a lot of progress
1: i, I just wanted to make a point really about how islam is practiced in the uae because We know that in the majority of cases of radical Islam, the individuals who have been radicalized, it's often the case that that has been done by the imam or in the local mosque. Now, as a means of countering that, in the UAE, a central council has been established, very senior imams, clerics, and Islamic scholars. And what they do is they collectively agree a topic each week for the imams to preach about that week. And in doing so, this is a means of curtailing to some extent what is preached in the mosques, whilst also giving those imams free reign to discuss what they want, provided it's within the boundaries of that one assigned topic. And to police it, they have regular spot checks, I suppose, a, if you like, a mystery shopper kind of uh, practice to make sure that there aren't any imams or preachers who are veering off on the wrong tangent. And there are a uh, Very, very few cases of radicalisation in the mosques since this system was introduced. They've seen a much greater level of harmony. Well, I suppose that's not exactly an exercise in preserving total freedom of
0: religious expression. But if it keeps Islamic terrorists under control, then I don't have a problem with it. I do, of course, have a big problem with the Vatican's liturgical thought police using similar but entirely bogus excuses to monitor beautiful and peaceful worship in what Ross Daubert of the New York Times this week described as its attempted strangulation of Latin mass communities. But don't get me started. Nathan, thanks very much.